Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Scott Wurzbacher, and today we're going to talk about the trailblazers that clear the path for the rest of us to step into adventure. I'm really excited about this episode because today's guest literally started a business by creating trails for people to enjoy in the forest. Jeremy Early is our guest today, and he is a Charlotte, North Carolina native. He's a craftsman, a philanthropist, an adventure guide, and quite literally a trailblazer. His company, Jeremy Early Trailworks, was started in 2006. And quoting his website, trails are an important part of any community. They connect us to each other, they connect us to the land, and they help us reconnect with ourselves. I love that so much. It's an incredibly inspiring vision, yet this business was just the catalyst that propelled Jeremy into even bigger philanthropic work that brought him to help the underserved in remote villages of Africa. This is an impassioned story of following the call to adventure, building pathways for other people to follow, and all that can unfold along the way. Jeremy, welcome to the campfire. Thank you. Good to be here. Man, I am so pumped to have this conversation and share this story. Um, I wonder if we could start, how would you introduce yourself to someone that's just meeting you for the first time? Be difficult because I don't really like to talk about myself. So <laughs> it'd be, you want a good time? You want to go along for the ride? Let's do it, man. I love it. You're an amazing human. That's what I like to do is just go after it. I love it. So I think a good place to start is Trailworks. I think I'd love to just talk a little bit about Trailworks. Then we can kind of go back in time from there and hear about your adventure spirit. But you've created this awesome business called Trailworks. Tell us, Jeremy, Jeremy Early Trailworks. Tell us about that and what it is. I started out for the longest time, but until just recently, hand-cut natural surface hiking trails. I grew up in Boy Scouts. Um, it was a big part of my life. It still is a, a very, very large part of my life. And uh, well, I worked my summers in uh, college. I went out to Philmont Scout Ranch and somewhere around New Mexico, worked at their National High Adventure Base. And my first summer I was working in, in base camp. This place is huge. It's the biggest youth camp in the world. And uh, and the Boy Scouts of America alone owns 130,000 square acre, or 30, 130,000 acres in New Mexico. And then they have access to another... 200 or so thousand um they actually they've, they've expanded now so it's even bigger than that now but uh, this is in 2003 and i worked there summers of 2003 four and five and my first summer working at base camp i got exposed to uh, through a friend of mine who was out there we you know you're out there with it's a thousand people on staff they go through 28,000 kids throughout the year i mean throughout the summer it's massive and it's just this machine that just moves forward she had, uh, my friend Bonnie, she had met, met somebody who was working out in one of these trail jobs, uh, taking groups out called Roving Outdoor Conservation School is a 21 day program. And they do three weeks of backpacking. And then within that, they, they kind of stop for about four or five days and they do trail projects. Uh, and I, we were going out to their work site and it was just right off the, right off the main, one of the main roads, right near the turnaround. It's like not a, not an ideal place to want to be all summer, yeah. but yet something about it, like, man, putting my head down, hand tools, 
kind of hunched, not necessarily hunched over because you burn your back out that way, but like just getting into the, the whole scheme of things and cutting trail by hand and having something to look back. I mean, I look back on it. I, I remember vividly that 25 feet of trail that I cut. And as far as what I cut today, if I was to ever show anybody that, they wouldn't hire me for, a, for anything. <laughs> but it was something about like, there, there's just something about this that's unique and different and tangible that I, I'm good at this. I, I understand this. And so the following summer, I worked as a order of the aerial trail crew foreman. I had applied for roving after conservation school to be an instructor, but uh, they either they had enough people to do that already, or the, the fellow that I worked for um, in activity staff in base camp in 2003 said, you should really try OA trail crew. It's really, really cool. And it's actually 20, it's a, it's a 14 day program, so two weeks. You do an entire week worth of trail building, and then you have your own trek um, to put together to go backpacking. We would go and end up going about 80 to 100 miles over seven days with these kids. Uh, but we would we'd cut trail for an entire week, and we we're up in this beautiful uh, trail site, Copper Park. For those that have been to Philmont, Copper Park is at the base of, of Baldy in this beautiful valley. Um, it opens up to this, this beautiful field. Uh, but the the park, the camp itself is up in the um, subalpine firs. I mean, it's gorgeous. And it runs up to the saddle. So we're cutting trail up to the saddle. And that whole summer, it was like, yeah, I, I like this. This is what I like to do. And throughout our one of our treks, we're out backpacking. And I'm, I'm sitting with uh, with my buddy Brock, who's we're, we're partners on this. We're, we're the ones leading these 14 to 21-year-olds out in the woods all, all summer long. And uh, this fella from Colorado says, my, my buddy of mine, he's a trail, uh, trail contractor. He's a private contractor. He builds hiking trails. And he does it out in Colorado, he says. And, and he, he does gangbusters work. Like they're working uh, national parks, BLM lands, all kinds of stuff. And it just got me thinking, well, if that's possible in Colorado, it's got to be possible. North Carolina, wherever, wherever it ended up being. Yeah. He said, I'm born and raised here in Charlotte, and I'd been at school at Appalachian up in the mountains. And I was, I was still planning on living in Boone after I graduated college, which I ended up doing. And through that, uh, kind of, it started to add a little something in my mind, like a little, little nugget there, like, okay, well, let's see what that's about. Maybe, uh, maybe being a private contractor really is an option. Um, and so I graduated in 2005. Later, I was working construction up there, just hanging out, still living in Boone, hanging out with friends of mine. Um, and I took an opportunity when I found this website called trailbuilders.org, and it's the National Trail Builders Association's website. They have a, they had a page for posting. So you could either you are looking for jobs or you are somebody, they contract, you're looking for people to come work for you. So I put my name down as, as uh, somebody to, to get a job through. Like if there's a contractor out there, please. I'd be interested. So people started calling, opportunities started coming in because it's it's probably so seldomly used that somebody's like, oh, somebody's interested. Let's just right. go for it. Yeah. And, and at 21, maybe he can physically handle the job too. So I took an opportunity. I, I interviewed with a few folks and I took this opportunity with a group called Northwest Youth Corps out of Eugene, Oregon. And this would have been in between late February to early April, 2006. So basically just the entire month of March. Fly out to Eugene drive down to Maricopa County, uh, Arizona, which is Phoenix, all of Phoenix, Arizona. We're up in northern northern tip of that mm -hmm. little town of Cave Creek. And Cave Creek, you come to find out, it's like we're all the rich folks that moved out of, out of uh, Phoenix up to Scottsdale. Yeah. This is the rich folks that moved out of Scottsdale up to up to Cave Creek. Like they, they're the really, really rich folks who wanted to get really far away from people. Yeah. 
and uh, we take this opportunity. They called it the leadership development course. And I was like, oh, okay, well, this is what I did at Philmont. I was taking guys, taking young uh, young dudes out in the woods and cutting trails and backpacking and, you know, in a no direct way, teaching them life skills, I guess. Um, but come to find out, I was part of the leadership development course. I was not leading it. I was just another member. So it was, it's basically how they get folks to come in and work for their company or work for their organization. Yeah. So we're out there in Maricopa County for up in Cave Creek for five weeks, staying at a county park. And uh, at the same time, I was interviewing with the state of Maine's Conservation Corps to lead, to lead a, a, just to be a, a hired on member. Um, and within two weeks, both Northwest Youth Corps and the state of Maine's Conservation Corps said, now we don't normally do this, but we'd like to hire you on as a crew leader. So, all right, I'll, I'll think about it. I'm, I'm in the middle of this. So I ended up making, we were making $50 a day. We were working 10 hours a day. And I got to thinking, man, I can do a whole lot better back at home working construction. This, is, this is, isn't exactly turning out how I thought it would. And uh, so fast forward, I, I, I told them both, no, I'm, I'm not interested. I'm going to see what else is out there. And just by luck of the draw, this would have been, like, like I said, this was early April 2006, May of 2006. I'm up in the uh, state of Maine anyways uh, with a friend of mine. We, we got tickets to Red Sox-Yankees game, so we drove up to Boston. And then just kept going up to Acadia to go hiking around the National Park. And we're in Bar Harbor, Maine. And this fella calls me from Charlotte, uh, homeowners that I just bought a, or I'm in the process of buying a bunch of property in Blowing Rock. And I, saw, I found your name on this website. Would you be all, I see you're in Boone. Would you be all interested in cutting trails for me? Oh, man. And so it, it all largely, the whole way it started was it fell into my lap. I had an opportunity. And I said, well, okay, I, I think I can do it by myself. I can do it for myself. I'm not really down for working for somebody else right now. Um, so yeah, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. And he had this beautiful piece of property right on the southern slopes of Grandfather Mountain. I mean, it's just gorgeous, like walking into the grapes and wrath or something. That's awesome. And, uh, the, house is, the house is from the 1930s. It's everything about it was cool. The caretaker, there's a caretaker for the properties, this 90-year-old guy named Levi. He was still living there. And the guy who sold the house to, to my friend now, uh, Brian, he said, yeah, one condition with the house, Levi comes with it. <laughs> so, so actually, I got most mornings and, and afternoons, I would just walk in. I'd, I'd park near Levi's house because he was in the caretaker house down the property. I'd go in from his side of things. So we would just sit there and talk for 30 minutes. I mean, I, I would not get anything done. I, I'd, right. so yeah. I'd just talk to him because it was awesome. He had such a cra crazy and wild perspective being born and raised in Blowing Rock or in that area and has lived his, lived his entire life up there. And so it just kind of from there, that job led to through connections from my professors at Appalachian led to bigger projects through um, conservation groups there with like high country conservancy leading into folks with uh, different land trusts all over the state. Um, got my got my foot into the door so once i got that big tra big trail property or big trail job at the ginn company's laurelmore property which was very uh, uh i guess the word would like that nobody really liked the, the ginn company it was pretty controversial yeah but they were had a whole lot of opportunities to cut trails so I, I took it it's such a cool concept though i mean you know so many of us that enjoy invent adventure whether it's backpacking or just going you know, going to parks and, and walking on trails. Like, I think a lot of us probably don't stop and think about the fact that like somebody had to create these trails. Yeah. There's a lot of machine cuts, which is 
just it's the, a, a far better way of doing it, far more sustainable way of doing it as far as a hands-on approach. But we were doing it all by hand. That's how I learned to do it out at Philmont, and that's what I took back here. And, and I had a handful of guys, kind of like my, my go-tos, and it was just a bunch of us buddies just hanging out in the woods having a great time. That's awesome. And I'm, I'm just curious, like not to go into too much detail, but like for my own curiosity and for people listening, like what does it take to cut a trail? Time, determination, <laughs> little patience. Um, I mean, are you in there with like, what kind of tools are you using? Like what's, you know, what, what does that look, what does cutting a trail look like? Yeah. So at, at the, uh, at the early stages up, up until about the last year and a half or so, um, as I've moved into more machine cut trail, being that I've just turned 40, the hand cut stuff doesn't quite do it for me anymore. Uh, <laughs> physically you walk in largely. So if it's, if it's a private home neighborhood, if it's, if it's like a Laurel Moore, whatever, you know, what they are now blue yep. Mountain club, or if it's down the uh, Crescent community stuff down in Lake, why uh, down like James, you're cutting through common open space. You only have so much room to work with to begin with because they're there to sell lots. So you're working through, bunch of drainage areas and down like above yeah. the above the lakes and stuff and there's usually i know in mcdowell and burke county where lake james is they have 60 foot buffer zones so you're inside the buffer zone because they don't let, want anything machine cut but they're like well but hand cut that that would work fine yeah we don't mind a problem with that it doesn't create that much of a, a runoff um to get down to the lake so we would go in i'd flag it all out i'd got walk with the the folks that work with the neighborhoods like this is where i think it should go um, it's going to be this long, roughly, let's just say 3000 feet. I have a per foot price and we would agree on that. And then we just rock and roll. I take my guys out there with the chainsaw and cut down anything that needed to largely if it was anything bigger than, uh, bigger than like the size of your wrist, I would largely just go around it. I definitely didn't, we didn't take any big trees. Um, we just took out a bunch of small stuff. So if I had to bring a chainsaw, it was, it was so, you, know, you know, something had fallen down already and we were just having to clear stuff, but. You cut your corridor out, you, you make it, you make it wide enough about arm's length to take everything out. And then you just go in with your Matic tools and a uh, cutter Matic or a pick Matic, which uh, people are like, oh, that's a pickaxe or a uh, Pulaski is also a really common tool. Um, we just use cutter Maddoxes because they're just more beefy and, and, and can tear out roots just as well. Um, and we just take a section 25 feet at a time. And if there was three or four of us, we would just leapfrog each other or, or I'd have three of those guys leapfrogging each other. And I would come in and I'd finish it all with my McLeod, my big rake tools and uh, make sure it's all tuned up, looking real nice and sharp. And that's largely it. There's nothing to put down when it's natural surface. Uh, there's nothing to wash away over time. If it has enough uh, people on it, it'll compact largely in a moment, like by itself. So yeah, it's, it just takes probably to do 3000 feet at that time. I could do, upwards of 400 feet a day with depending on how many guys I had or depending on the terrain. And we would just rock it out, man. It was just, it was just fun. We, we worked three, four days a week because the weather either washes you out or you're just too darn tired come Friday. And we worked hard <laughs> enough. And I, would, I would tell all those guys instead of like, don't, don't, I'm not going to waste your time. So don't waste mine. So we're not going to be out there for eight hours because that's what a working day is. If we can get done in three and a half hours, what I want to get done in eight, I will pay you for eight. So that was the biggest motivating tool of like either take a 12 pack set at the end of the trail, like the end of that section. Like I want to get to here. So I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd put a 12 pack right there. Like we get to here, we're done today. I don't care what time it is. I and love that. The first, the first time I did that, we were done by 11. <laughs> 
Hey everyone, it's Scott here. Did you know that the members of my real estate team, W Realty Group, are listening to their own voices that call to adventure by setting big goals? Some of those goals include planning trips to Bali and the Kingdom of Bhutan, buying investment homes and running the Chicago Marathon. At W Realty Group, we support and encourage these big goals and want to help turn them into reality. We're currently looking to add new members to the team. If you know a great real estate agent in the Charlotte, North Carolina area that would benefit from being part of our team, please send a text, an email, or give me a call. And know that when you support W Realty Group, you're also supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening. Did you ever see the movie Cool Hand Luke? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's making me it's making me remember that. Like he 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 yeah. works really really hard just to get to the end, and they're like, "Slow down, slow down, you're going too fast." But they, but they, they I love it. Yeah, it is to be done. <laughs> yeah, you just want to be done, man. I think this is so cool. But like one of the things that I love about this, like you obviously are an adventurer, but mm-hmm. you're you're somebody that likes to lead, and I think it's just like the, to me, there's a metaphor in this in trail works because you're literally you're not just out in the wild, you're actually cutting the trail, you're actually creating the trail. And so, so many of us, like we go find the trails and we walk on the trails, but you're actually out there creating them. And it seems like you kind of have this desire to sort of go first. And I'm just curious because like, we're going to talk about other parts of your journey, moving into the philanthropy and and guiding adventures. But I, I really am curious, like if there was any like it seems like a metaphor to me that you're like really at the forefront of creating these pathways so that other people can come with you and i'm just curious if there was ever like any intentionality about that or is that just something that like we can see in the rearview mirror the rearview mirror that was never that was never a thought really the largest thing was i don't necessarily want to go get a job so what <laughs> can i do to to work for myself like it it, it at least to see if it's if it's possible. Um, my my parents have been unbelievably supportive in all of it because um, it's not always the easiest to do. And certainly, it's not always making money. Yeah. Um, but it was one of those where like I, I'm not interested in that so much. The the making money part, like I know I have to make make ends meet to pay my mortgage, pay my rent, and all that sort of stuff, and all my bills at the time and, and still today. But it was it was largely like I like the freedom. Like it's a taste of freedom that once you get that, that's hard to let go. So it's it's been once it kind of established itself. Two thousand eight was a really great year. Two thousand nine was a very tough year, but it was one of those like it's I, I've tasted what success is. Yeah, and I, I know what it looks like. I know what it takes to do it, and it, it it's not that daunting of a of a task to like. Success for me is different than it is from somebody else, but ultimately it was it was that idea of like you watch The Office or something, and it's it just seems as though okay, it's a TV show, but there's a lot of similarities, and from what I understand from the from the corporate world of not a whole lot of what you do is tangible to take home, and the idea of cutting trails by hand, like every day you do something, that is a tangible result. Yeah. No matter what you've done, you have something to look back on and think, I just did that, or I was a part of the group that just did that. Yeah. And I can and guys that I'm with, I can I can walk through a trail that I cut and I know full well which section I did. 
compared to you know that that was a section that uh, uh, that Matt or that's the section that Bank or that's the section that that the uh, Swedes did. Like it, it's, I, I can tell just by walking through it because we we spent so much time together. We had such a great rapport and, and relationship, and those and like we would just go to war with each other largely because it's so physically demanding that by the end of the day, if we're driving back from Lake James to Boone, it's an hour and a half drive up Highway 181, which is this curvy, twisty mountain road, and it puts everybody to sleep. <laughs> it was completely exhausted. And I'm sitting there, windows down, music blasting, ACs on, I'm drinking water, whatever I can do to keep myself awake to get home. And uh, it was a great way to spend my 20s, man. Feeling great and feeling that sense of accomplishment. But I guess I am curious. So like, yeah, it's the rearview mirror, but like looking in the rearview mirror and then knowing where like your life has, has been taking you in terms of leading others, like as you look back, do you sort of see that? And like, do you connect with that? Yeah. that piece where like something, something in the universe puts you in a place where you were like creating. A path. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's one of those, like it gave me an opportunity and I I'm, I'm a scout leader. I, I'm a scout master for the troop that I grew up in here in town. And one of the things I tell our guys, like the good thing about, I feel is scouting. And I think from the route that I've taken running my own business since I was 23 or 22 was, um, I learned how to fail well. Like I, I, re, I realized there's an opportunity there, and for someone in my cer specific circumstance, come, you know, being born and raised in Charlotte in the early '80s, and it very much entrenched in this community. I got a, I got a handful of opportunities to mess this up. So long as I don't, there's a few things. As long as I don't do that, I have a, I have a little bit more leeway in taking a risk. Yeah. So it's. And, and that largely came into real focus when I went, got involved with the lunch project and going to Tanzania, seeing that firsthand and experiencing that firsthand, which I know we're going to get to. But um, it was, it was that opportunity, like I, it, building confidence, like I can take a risk. I'm okay. If it, if it kind of blows up in my face, because I have the understanding that I have been given certain gifts in this world, so long as I'm willing to see what they are and pursue them. And, and, I did it and it was successful, not all the time, but enough to make me realize I have every ability to make this, make my life into whatever it is that I want it to be. Yeah, I love it. And and the thing with Trailworks is, you know, and I don't know how much you think back on that, but like you, you, you have this sense of accomplishment for what mm -hmm. you created. But, you know, when you think about all the people that got to come after and use those trails, mm -hmm. that's got to be pretty rewarding too. Um, Absolutely. So you said um, you, you've foreshadowed to the lunch project. And uh, so I let's go there. How did you go from this very cool nature-based business of cutting trails for land developers, essentially, to this next phase, which is leading leading these trips. Can you talk about that? Also by luck. Um, <laughs> me, and, me and two friends in 2006 decided we wanted to go climb Kilimanjaro. Um, a friend of mine had just gotten out of uh, his duties with the army. He had a, a nice little bonus in his pocket, and he was like, I want to go do something. And I've always wanted to go hike Kilimanjaro. And at the time, like, all right, I'm game. Um, passed along another friend of mine. He was game with it too. So we, so we, uh, three of us set out in early 2007. We actually spent New Year's in Dublin on our way down to Tanzania. Nice. And we, uh, we got to Arusha or Moshi. We got into Moshi um, maybe on the 2nd 
uh, and we hit the trail in the fourth. It was real quick, relatively quick turnaround. Um, went through a group called the Marengu Hotel, a friend that I had worked at Philmont with. He had gone. I got the name and number from him. And so we did that in 2007, and it was a wonderful experience. We had an awesome time, great time on the mountain. Um, and I had, a, had it in me, like, I always wanted to go back. It was one of those places I've always wanted to go back to. And luckily, I was young enough to where that wasn't, like, a huge thing. Like I'm talking about when I was 24, yeah. wanting to go back. Oh, one day I want to go back. So I was back in 2012 when, uh, at, at St. John's Episcopal Church, which I've been a member of since I was a kid. I'm um, sitting there in youth group one night, and uh, one of the adults says, hey, there's a, there's a lady here. Uh, Rebecca Wofford, who started this group called The Lunch Project, along with two other ladies, and they're going to Tanzania. Um, this would have been June of 2012. Okay. We just started this organization in 2011, and we're looking to take a group to experience kind of firsthand what that was going to be um, in 2012. So kind of, I heard the announcement. I said, oh, I've always wanted to go back, talk to my dad about it. He said, yeah, you've always talked about wanting to go back. Why wouldn't you do it? So, Okay. Uh, scrounged what money I had together and hand them a check. Actually, it ended up working that somebody had dropped out. So it, I think it was a little bit less expensive for me because somebody had dropped out and, and that spot opened up. Nice. So all I needed to do was just kind of like pay my way um, to go. We were did the same exact safari that I did in 2012 at Lake Minyara National Park and then the Gorgor Crater. And we actually did it on the front end of the trip. So this was like a, maybe all in all, we were there for maybe in country for nine days. So we did the safari and I thought at the end of that, okay, this is great. I love this place. This is wonderful. It's incredibly beautiful. Scott, as you've, as you've been to this place, the, yeah. the, the crater is unbelievable. It is. Some, it's magical. It's hard to talk about. It's explain. And, and somebody, it's like talking about the Grand Canyon. Like how do you really explain the Grand Canyon? It's one of those things. Hopefully you have the opportunity to see it. So this is that same thing. Like hopefully you have the opportunity to see the Nagorogoro crater. So if I got to go for the second time, absolutely. And we we're there and we had a great safari. And I thought, all right, that's that's clearly the high end of the trip. And I'm game for whatever this next phase is going to be, whatever this lunch project intends to be and what we're going to be doing. Immediately fell in love with the place. We went to uh, Laminata Primary School, which is on the western edge of Arusha on, on Mount Meru, like the southern slopes of Mount Meru. Um, beautiful piece of prop, beautiful piece of the world, beautiful piece of the world. And the people there are just wonderful. But it's, it's a Maasai community. And when we, when you hear it about desolate and poor and poverty, that's, this is largely that. And it's a kind of a cultural thing, the way the Maasai work, um, a Maasai warrior or Maasai man is able to have as many wives and kids as he can afford through cattle and goats. It's a bartering system. So uh, they, it's not a place where they like stop and, and do agriculture. They're a nomadic tribe yeah. or nomadic, nomadic community. So the, at this point in, in time, we fast forward to 2012 and all the public land, I mean, all the, all the open space is basically either taken by the government or private landowners. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're these folks who have lived a nomadic lifestyle for a couple hundred years are forced now to largely just settle into one place. So with that, uh, it, it starts to grow and grow and grow and grow. The community grows, but yet there's not really much of an ec- economic base by any means because they're still just bartering. These schools are packed with kids. And yet these, you know, I'm talking a, a 13 room school in La Minata primary school with a hundred kids in each class, oh. you know, a thousand kids at these schools. And that whole entire region is full of schools that are overcrowded with children that because of their uh, family commitments are there to, are, are largely pulled out of school to help out at home. Um, either taking goats and cattle to the marketplace. If you're a, if you're a young boy, 
if you're a young girl, you're there to take care of all the younger brothers and sisters you have that can't that can't help out. You're largely just, you know, life has already been predetermined for you by just being born. Like this yeah. is the lifestyle you're going to have. So yeah. the lunch project, Rebecca and the two other ladies, when they went um, before they had this, this calling of sorts of the headmaster at Lamineta Primary School the year before in 2011 had come to Rebecca on when she was working for the Charlotte School of Law. They were out there looking at the UN development goals at the secondary school right next door. I mean, just a, it, the incredible link that took Rebecca to Tanzania to meet Ernest Mbaga, to meet his sister, Rebecca, who ran the secondary school, which was next to the primary school. The way all these things just kind of link themselves together is it's bigger than, than me. It's bigger than me. It's bigger yeah. than me to even try to comprehend how that yeah. worked. So what it ended up happening was it just took us to a beautiful community full of incredible people that were really wanting to do something for these children. Like we need to have a reason for these kids to stay in school. What could that reason be? How about serving them lunch? That would be great. Yes, we think lunch would be the perfect way to keep, keep kids involved in school. So what would that lunch be? Um, how about rice and beans? And they go back to the community. This is not something that the Lunch Project, a Charlotte-based organization now, now that's overseen by a group called Thrive Global Project. It's not something that they do where it's like we're sending boxes of food and this is what you all should be sending to feeding these kids. It's what can you all afford to do? What, what would you all feel would be the best for us to, to help in what way? And that was uh, cornmeal porridge. That's what that's Ugali is the is a typical meal that folks out there in, in the Maasai communities would have. And really across that region of Tanzania, it's just a cultural, it's a cultural preference and sure. something that they feel like they could give to their kids if and when the lunch project ever had to stop, ever had to stop being there. So we're there, we're serving meals out every day that first trip in 2012 and helping to build desks for the schools and all kinds of stuff. We're doing all kinds of projects around and just like hands-on working with the, working with the community, meeting folks that are, uh, leaders of the community, your parents of the school kids. Um, and this it just clicked like, this is a great organization. This is a great thing to be doing. And because I was in my late twenties, ran my own business, no wife, no kids, no responsibilities of that regard. Yep. They asked me on the flight home, would you be interested in leading trips moving forward? And without a hesitation, like, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's really incredible. Like if, you know, just going back to like trail works, I mean, you just, you kind of, got into doing what you love opportunity presented itself. You said, yes, we're going to come back to that. Um, mm -hmm. But, and then it, it, it turned into something bigger and then like you built those skills. And then once again, like an opportunity came to you and you said, yes. And now mm -hmm. like following that voice inside that just, you know, really you were just going on a trip because you wanted to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro. You thought that that sounded cool, but like that experience led you to opportunity to contribute in a bigger way. So for the lunch project, you started going in 2012 and you went really almost, it sounds like every year up until 2018. And then you started going back. I'm curious, like for those villages, like what, what sort of changes and transformations have you seen through that, through those years of going back and through that relationship building with them. It's interesting. The, the relationship is very strong. Um, but, but what it's, you know, the impact that it's had depends on how you choose to look at it. Um, having gone back in, in 13, where you start, you, there's still a little bit of that. Oh, you again. Mm -hmm. Oh, we recognize you. 
and in 2014, okay, Jeremy, we know who you are. We, 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 we're, we're, you know, you start to, that, that welcoming starts to get a little bit bigger and bigger and bigger and, and, and more encompassing. Um, you start to see a little bit more of the culture. You know, I, I'm not there blown away by the, oh, they're singing songs for us and they're running around. They, you know, they, it, we show up and school just grinds to a halt and these kids just go, you know, wild for, for the, the world is a smaller place when we show up. Yeah. Smaller place. It's not, it's not so daunting of a, of a thing to think that like they, their dreams that they're not actually feasible maybe when, if, if they didn't see us, if they're not around us to think, well, these folks have figured out a way to, to, to make this a reality to be able to travel half the halfway across the world. So I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just one of those things where, you know, when we're sitting there talking to kids, like the, the end product of the lunch project and thrive global project today, what they're doing is grades are up. Kids are more kids are testing in the secondary school and, and the education continues to rise and through education hopefully that helps to raise some of these communities and these families out of poverty as we know it um in in arusha and, and the rest of the developing world the way they value monetary success is the same way we value monetary success um it's a it's not necessarily a matter of what they have and what they don't have versus the freedom to choose what it is and how they choose to make a living um to give more opportunities that way uh, and, and just to, to have a better base and understanding of education is never a bad thing. Um, it's used and when it's used in the right, in the right ways. And, and I think I've looked at it thinking, okay, where is the end game in all of this? Cause you kind of see there's some communities that kind of rely on it yep. at, at this point, they're relying on us to be able to continue that funding program. Um, everything is locally sourced. So it, it helps to build. Uh, the economy, uh, the little micro economies that are in that that area, you know, we the cornmeal porridge has a milk base, and that is brought in from the local dairy farmers in that region, and and the cornmeal is ground at the little refinery there, right next to Laminaire Primary School. Like these things are, it's not shipped, it's not shipped in, it's it's there, it's locally sourced. But after a while, you kind of thinking, all right, a thousand kids has now turned into eleven hundred kids at a school. <laughs> And 800 kids has turned into 875 kids at a school. And it's, that's wonderful. I hope that all these kids get something to eat and get a chance to, to learn it and, and go on with their lives. But at some point, it's kind of, it's kind of a double-edged sword in a way of like, all right, with the community, where are we going with this? What, what is, what is going to happen with this? So it's, it's a long-term, it's a, certainly a long, long range goal. It's a long range um, uh, target to hit of, we can look at everything on a microscopic level, but yet we need to see things from 30,000 feet. And is it moving forward? Yes. It seems to, it seems to really be moving in a positive direction. Nothing in life is perfect and neither is this organization and neither, neither am I. And what I, what I hope to be instilling in these communities, if, if anything, but through the right desire and want to help, I think we've we've hit upon a, a, a nice mutual understanding and connection that we can help and we're not here to step on toes, but we do yeah. have we do have a, a larger vision in mind and we'd like to see how we can make it make it happen. Well, here's what's cool. Like you guys, you started small, right? And and even going back to trail works, right? You're you, that starts with cutting a trail 
And then once you cut the trail, that makes the space for people to be able to come along the path. Like mm -hmm. once the, the trail getting cut is just the first step, right? Like people mm -hmm. being able to come along that path, like who knows what's going to happen after that, but that's the first step. And it's the same thing with this lunch project and your involvement in that you're mm -hmm. starting by helping these kids to get a nutritious meal. And then the nutritious meal turns into, like you said, 800 kids becomes 875 kids. And now it's like, how do we make this sustainable? But you, what your point was is that there's still a lot more to come, yeah, right? Absolutely. And we don't know what that looks like. There's always going to be more challenges, but you cut the path. We, st we, still, have to, we still have to put our, put our heads down and, and do the work. And that's what I love so much about and what I enjoy so much about it and where it continues to take me through scouting, through coaching soccer in high schools. Um, through my my help with the youth the youth program at St. John's Episcopal, yeah, I coached it. I coached soccer at Myers Park for eight seasons just because. Oh, why not? Seems like a really cool opportunity. I'd love to do it. And and it's it's that I just I just like getting involved and stuff, getting my hands dirty and like yeah. working with working with other people towards a common goal. And this is just one of those beautiful common goals. Everybody deserves a chance to have a meal. Um, we we would I would think of it as very selfish and a very American thought process of well why don't we just help the people that are here in the united states like yeah there's plenty of people doing that i had people, people ask like why'd you pick that place well one it wasn't me i didn't pick it i just i'm along for the ride i did, i agree with what they're, what they're doing um these people need help too and I, I can and with my specific unique gifts that i have been given i can be of help so i choose to be of help well, and the other thing is because you and I, I, we talked about this, we had a chance to speak before, before this call and uh, you've, there's been a number of experiences. I mean, you just, you just brought up some of your coaching experiences and some of these other things. And you said, you just like to be involved. But one of the things we talked about early on was your desire and that feeling within you to just say yes to opportunity. Mm -hmm. And that's like, that's definitely a thread that's kind of carried through your life, whether it was like going to New Mexico to be on that, that Boy Scout um, project and then trail works and then um, going to Kilimanjaro and then going and being part of the lunch project. Like, can you talk about that feeling of just that desire to say yes for you specifically? Yes, absolutely. It's one of those things where like, I feel like there's a real lack of confidence in a lot of people, like not, not necessarily belief in themselves, but the confidence to go and do it, to follow up on it. And, uh, and I only say that because I've been involved with so many groups and organizations and, and been around so many people in my, in my adulthood uh, through all these things that I've been involved in. I've been fortunate enough. And, and with that confidence, largely it's, it's feeling a need to say yes. Like there's, there's stuff out there for all of us. So long as we're willing to keep our heads up and, and look for opportunities and see an opportunity in, um, or, or see a space for us in those opportunities. Like I, I can only, I can only imagine most folks get asked to help out with something throughout in a, in a year's time in 365 days, if they're involved in something, Hey, can you help out with this, uh, neighborhood gathering? Can you help out with your, your kids cub scout, uh blue and gold banquet like there's there's things that are out there for all of us and i'm sure we're we're asked we just have to find the time and the desire to want to do it and half the time it's as i tell the guys in our scout troop when it comes to service projects like serving others is serving ourselves mm. it has nothing to do with largely if we want to like i don't care if it's fun 
we can, we can go out there and we can make it fun. We'll go out and we will make, as long as we are there together, as long as we are there working towards a common goal, we will find the fun in it. It doesn't have to be one of those incredible experiences. Like it's what we choose to make of it. And I think it's, that's what instills confidence. I think that's what builds confidence. Like saying yes, having an opportunity and, and seeing it through. I think that's how confidence is built. And confidence is a wonderful thing. And it comes through saying yes, right? You say yes, you build a little bit of confidence. You say yes again, you build a little bit of confidence. Mm -hmm. As we get towards the end of our time here together, tell us a little bit about what's next for you. Um, you're, you've started um, guiding people. Yeah, so all these, all these experiences, especially through Scouts and, and, and my trips to Tanzania, has just gotten get, uh, given me an opportunity to hone my um, leadership skills, camping skills. Um, I love hiking. I love being outside. And I love the program that is scouting. I love, I love what they instill. There's a handful of things in, on the national level and, and corporate type of sorts of things, which I can disagree with, but ultimately the meaning of the program holds a lot of value to me, mm -hmm. and it's, but it's not for everybody. And so I want to be able to take what we do there in scouts and I want to take it to the broader community, um, whether that be Charlotte and beyond. Um, so I have a company, it's, it's brand new. It's called all points adventures. Here's one of my, my stickers. This is my logo here. Nice. Um, I have one shirt, so it's in the wash. So I didn't have that time to put that on, <laughs> but, uh, I am going to be, my, my goal is to lead two Tanzanian trips a year. Cool. Uh, Kilimanjaro hike in a safari in January. And that's about a 17 day trip total. Um, that's a six day safari and a seven day Kilimanjaro hike up the Machame route. And then in June, I'd like to, I'm, I'm putting all the final details together and pricing together for an 11 day safari where we go to, we fly in or we drive up to Northern Serengeti and we'll watch the, the wildebeest migration cross the Garamedi river, hopefully get snapped up by some crocodiles while we're there. Uh, we'll go hang out on, uh, Lake Victoria for two days. We'll fly down to Gombe national park where Jane Goodall did all of her research, all of her chimpanzee research. And it's actually through my, my good buddy, Ernest Mbaga, and this is his company in Tanzania, East Safari Organizers and Guides. Um, we work connection, we work in, in tandem to put these, put these together. So it's, we have boots on the ground in Tanzania that are there, know the area on me in like the back of their hand. Um, our safari guides, Gerald and Eki are fantastic. And, uh, we, and then we go through another company um, that's not East Safari Organizers and Guides, but just another company to take us on the Kilimanjaro hike, which we did in uh, January of this year and had a wonderful time, just a wonderful experience doing that Machame route. 11 of us, we all got to, the, or 12 of us, we all got to the top and it was wonderful. There's always something working up here uh, for a trip uh, opportunity. So a, a lot of opportunity. And I love how this has all evolved. It started with you basically just showing up, being willing to say yes to different opportunities and all of this stuff has just sort of evolved for you and you get to follow that voice inside that's calling you to adventure. So if people want to learn more about your trips, all points adventures or even trail works, what's the best way for them to learn more about, about these uh, projects? The easiest way of getting a hold of me is through my, through my cell phone. Cool. And, uh, I can always just give you that number and, and you can post it for me later, but there's a, uh, I have two email addresses. Jeremy Early Trailworks at gmail.com or Jeremy at allpointsadv.com. 
Perfect. And, and uh, I'm working on the, the website stuff. I'm working on the social media type stuff. Um, it's never been my thing to, to advertise for myself. The trail projects, once I kind of got them going, they just kind of sold themselves. Uh, so that was always, that's what anybody ever wants. Um, as far as a business owner goes, like, I don't have to go looking for jobs. They usually come to find me. So this is a different turn for me. This is another thing to step into. And in uh, as, as you had to deal with me trying to figure out how to get onto this, uh, <laughs> onto this call alone, uh, my, my technology skills are a little lacking. So that's another thing for me to just say yes to and throw myself into it. Why not make it happen? It. If, if anybody's looking for something to do and, and to talk firsthand, I've actually got an art show coming up. Um, Friday, next Friday, the 13th, October 13th at the Charlotte Art League. And that's from 6 to 9 p.m. So if this gets out before then, cool. I would love yeah. to, come, to come check it out or it's just there. It's available every weekend starting this coming weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sundays from 1 until 7 p.m. The Art League is open. Perfect. My stuff. So, so, Jeremy, I think that um, in life there are trailblazers and there are those who prefer to follow the leader. And I think at times there are, uh, at times we all play kind of both of those roles. I am mm -hmm. curious for people that are listening that are kind of inspired by your story of just sort of listening to your own voice that calls you to adventure, being willing to say yes. What advice do you have for the trailblazers and what advice do you have for the followers? Uh, for the trailblazers, don't let negativity bring you down. Don't, don't let things just get in the way and stop your forward progress. It gives, I think every time that a opportunity is there, there's, there's, like I said, there's a flip side to everything. You can look at it in a negative light and you can kind of lose that confidence and lose a little bit of that steam. You just got to figure out a way around it. You just got to be creative, be, be willing to adapt and change without breaking your morals, without changing the things that you know, that you, that you stand firm on. In soccer, we tell them don't drop that back foot. Let somebody go and you know take you on the other side. To if, if you're trying to force them one way, don't let them don't let them take you another direction. You got to continue to force them that direction. Um, it's that same mentality. How how steadfast are you? Continue to keep your keep your head up. Um, keep looking forward and do the work. It all comes down to doing the work. And then those for those that are maybe looking for that what that opportunity is for them. I have a flip phone. So uh, a smartphone has not been something that I've, I've had to deal with in my life, but having been to plenty of restaurants and everywhere else in, in and amongst uh, the daily life of, of a suburbanite in South Charlotte, a lot of folks are looking down. They're looking down at their cell phone. They're looking, they're, they're engaged in something else than what's actually right in front of them. And I think what that ultimately is, has, come to is it's putting a hit on face-to-face -face communication and yeah you can send a text real quick and get a quick response but there's there's just something in that wording that maybe you're not catching that you will largely only get from either a face-to-face -face or a phone call like get out there talk to people see what's see what's interests them see what they're interested in that might interest you how can you all connect and continue to find opportunities and organizations and places where you can just go and connect, whether it's at a, one of the hundred breweries in this town or the greenways that are just continuing to expand and, and open up to connect and link places. Um, there's organizations, there's, there's 
churches that need help. There's just whatever, anywhere. There are so many meeting places. We just happen to be focused on the one right in front of us. And that's usually in our, in our pocket. Um, get out there, find some time, carve out some time, or just tell yourself, I'm going to make the, t- I'm going to make this a priority for myself. You are living proof that you don't need a smartphone to say yes to adventure. <laughs> so that that's fantastic. So Jeremy, I mean, you've done, you've had so much, like you said, small business owner three times over. I mean, tr- building trails, like a philanthropist, like years of going to Tanzania and, and helping feed kids nutritious meals through the lunch project. Now you're guiding trips. Like at some point, Hollywood is going to pick up on your story and they're going to want to make a movie about you and your life. Yeah, and I, I want to so. know <laughs> when they do, who's going to be the Hollywood actor that's going to play you in your movie. Well, it'll probably be so far down the road. Whoever I'm thinking of now is going to be the same age as me. So it's probably somebody, none of us, are, they're probably like a, a, somebody not even born yet by the time they actually get around to getting, getting me <laughs> on the screen. But um, if it was to happen right now, I would, I would love to see either Ryan Reynolds or Chris Pratt. Oh, nice. Oh, I love it. Okay. Uh, I like to think of myself as ruggedly handsome. So (laughs) that's uh, love it. What's your movie going to be called? uh, There's a book that was written years ago about this fellow Eustace Conway, who's who lives like born in Gastonia, uh, just west of here, and now lives on a little place called Turtle Island outside of Watauga County or somewhere in Watauga County. I'm assuming he's still there. He had this book written about him called The Last American Man. And maybe mine could be The Next to Last American Man. Uh, that's amazing. The Next to Last American Man starring Ryan Reynolds, maybe Chris Pratt. I love this. Maybe, I'm going to see maybe, they're, maybe they're both. They just take turns. <laughs> I'm going to see that movie. It's going to be awesome. Jeremy, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. This has been incredible. And for those listening, I hope you've been inspired today as much as I have. Hope Jeremy's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or just need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thanks for listening. Jeremy, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate the opportunity, man. It's great to to have this conversation.